Stop it! Don't open that door! Welcome to episode 26 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. This is a very special Masters of Unlocking podcast. We're a different kind of video game podcast because we talk about the psychology, the economics, and the business side of video gaming. But today is an even more Mm -hmm. different kind of video game podcast because we are face-to-face or adjacent to face-to-adjacent. Yeah, something like that. I get closer. This is actually the first time we've ever met in person mm-hmm. at a special event. Yes. For special people. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. This is Chicago Cartridge Con 2018. It's a gathering of folks from the Cartridge Club community from all over North America. Mm-hmm. And we've descended on Chicago to eat pizza, watch baseball, play video games, eat hot dogs, mm-hmm. drink beer, mm-hmm. eat Canadian snacks. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. That's it. Oh, and podcast. Ugh. All right. All yeah. right. We'll yeah, we're go. doing that too. We're doing that too. So this is going to be a condensed version of the Masters of Unlocking, our one-year anniversary, which I think is why we scheduled this. Oh, oh. hug. Our one-year anniversary. I mm-hmm. think that's why they scheduled Cartridge Con right now. Right. It was like a whole organization. We're very whole, important. Yeah. They did the calendar, look back, mm-hmm. the whole thing. It was a lot of, a lot of work went into this. <laughs> Uh, so we have four podcasts that are going to be live recording today. We're streaming on the YouTubes. And so this is all kinds of firsts for us. Well, not you. You're a YouTube megastar. Megastar, Me- yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. How you been? I've been really, really good. This, uh, this entire trip so far has been super, super, super amazing. Um, I'm extremely paranoid about not knowing people's names or immediately forgetting people's names as soon as they tell me them. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, very paranoid about, uh, being left behind when other people go do fun stuff. Um, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I am, uh, I, but I'm, but it's been a lot, a lot of fun because, um, the, you know, this, this entire group of people, uh, are people that we talk to online all the time. Um, and it's, it, you know, when, when I was a kid meeting people that you met on the internet was very, very much taboo. Um, Most of the time because they showed up in a white van with no windows and right. free candy spray painted on the side. <laughs> Do you have quite the the reference for that? Are you bringing back some I, memories? I drove a lot of vans as a child. <laughs> um, but it's been really cool to see everyone and talk to everyone. Um, and just, you know, last night I got to bed way earlier than everyone else did. But still, I woke up probably way later than everyone else did. Um, I think I'm just genuinely unhealthy. Mm. And that's what that leads to probably. But it's yeah. been a lot of fun. How about you? How have you enjoyed yourself so far? It's been great. It's been great. It's good to reconnect with a bunch of people that I met at Midwest Gaming Classic back in April. Bragger. Yeah. Yeah. The weather here in the Midwest, much better than in April. Re- we should move Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, April, no good. But And then it's been good. Also, we have a bunch of folks that weren't at Midwest Gaming Classic who are here and getting to meet them for the first mm-hmm. time and hang out, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, great, great community. So 
What have you been playing? <laughs> I have been playing uh, the Please Try to Remember Everyone's Name game, uh, 2018 2K. Mm, mm, that's a text-based adventure, Simulator. Right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm doing all right on that. Um, but I have been playing. So uh, I think I mentioned this during uh, the previous podcast, but I'll mention it here again because the occasion is right for it. Um, I have this thing where anytime I go on vacation or any tor- sort of extended leave or anything like that, I try to pick one kind of handheld game and play that the entire time. Uh, so that I have this uh, this memory association with that game. Later on when I play that game, then I can remember the good times I had. And so I've been doing that, and um, I for this particular instance, I picked up SteamWorld Dig 2. Now, the flight from my house to Chicago is about an hour and a half, and of course I'm not playing any games alone by myself here because I've been enjoying the company of all these wonderful people. So I've put about an hour and a half into SteamWorld Dig 2, so I don't think I'm going to quite get that game completed uh, by the end of this trip. Um, so my whole idea of, of having a memory-infused game is not really going to come to fruition. But in trade-off to that, I had a lot of fun playing Zombies Ate My Neighbors uh, yesterday, um, and that was super, super fun. Sunset Riders had a lot of fun playing that game and uh, destroying you, Scott, on that. Um, and then I'm lo- a pro at that game. All right. Pro. <laughs> All right. Sure. Uh-huh. Are you say, are you for real on that? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how that. We'll see if that's true. And then Looney Tunes basketball, um, which uh, was not. Um, it, we got destroyed. Who was I playing that with? Was it? Oh, it was Musty. Musty yeah. Musty, uh, and we got just destroyed. And there's nothing more uh, humbling than being destroyed by your favorite childhood cartoon characters in a video game, a medium that you like to pride yourself in being very good at. Watching it was actually kind of fun because I grew up playing Madden and destroying the computer like a hundred to nothing. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of know what the computer feels like. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was it was terrible. Um, but what about you? Have you been playing anything uh, of I note? did. I took your advice, although you didn't really specify that we were supposed to be able to complete the game on the trip and have like a condensed memory. Thought so I chose Octopath Traveler. <laughs> I'm not going to complete that one it's on the trip either. Appropriate. Yeah, Tra- yeah very traveling. It's awesome, though. I'm about two hours into it, um, which is basically the flight, and then last night after you ditched us all and went to bed. Um, it's great so far. So yeah. far, I'm, I started with The Thief. For anybody who hasn't played Octopath Traveler, this is spoiler-free. So you play through one of eight companions, Octo. Mm. Ah. Yeah, and you travel around. I thought it was Octothorpe for like the old name for the hashtag. Oh, but I guess that's also off. We should get back to that. <laughs> Octothorpe. I like Octothorpe Chicago better. That's Con. way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's good. It's a traditional JRPG. It really reminds me of Final Fantasy three slash six. So and which was one of my probably my favorite Final Fantasy games. So it's it's nice to kind of harken back to that. Nice and, and get a little bit of that. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well. We've done some pickups also. We have lately. done some pickups. Have we? we have. Um, maybe you should go first on this because um, you, uh, you, you, you're a pickup king. Well, one of the cool things about these gatherings is that you get to see people, what they have, what they have to get rid of, mm-hmm. and anything that people are getting rid of, I'm taking because I'm a hoarder. Um, so I picked up a lot of stuff from the Cartridge Club community. Uh, got a lot of Nintendo games. Got a lot of X- I filled in a couple of holes in my original Xbox mm-hmm. set. Picked up a Intellivision 3 system at a game store that we descended upon en masse last night. And uh, it's been been a good slew of pickups. Just a lot of random stuff. Yeah. So That's uh, perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. What perfect. about you? Uh, well, we took, uh, we took a trip to a little-known game store called GameStop yesterday. And 
Uh, they were having quite an awesome sale. Um, it was uh, like a four for twenty dollars kind of sale. Anything under ten dollars, you can get four for twenty. So I I was transported back into my childhood days where I would go into a video game store um, completely unaware of what I was looking for and really only rely on the back cover art to make my purchases. And I figure the barrier to entry here being such a good deal, four for twenty dollars, allowed me to do that with a little bit more freedom. And so that's kind of what I did. I just found a bunch of games that were uh, priced at nine dollars or below. Uh, probably appropriately speaking, because I'm sure they were terrible games, um, but just kind of look to the back cover art and I'm excited to go home and like just kind of see what they're like. And uh, they will probably, again, be terrible, but I'm really excited about it. A lot of Sodesco games, uh, three Sodesco games, um, which is a, a distributor publisher um, that, to be fair, produces some terrible games. Um, they're not super fun, but they are all... This episode sponsored by Sodesco. <laughs> They're they're all uniquely very like charming, um, and the the sort of broken quirks and glitches are actually kind of charming in a weird way. Um, so I can sort of see that years from now, people might gravitate towards those, like kids might gravitate towards those as being nostalgic reference, and everyone else says those are terrible games. Um, but yeah, they're charming, and so that's uh, I picked up a bunch of those, um, and I'm really looking forward to them. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So here we are in scenic Chicago. Mm-hmm. We've taken in the sights. And we're not really in scenic Chicago. We're in scenic Skokie. Yes. Skokartridge Con. Skokartridge Con. It's going to be a new thing. So we thought a good thing for this episode would be, when we think of the history of video games, mm-hmm. a lot of us, we think of California. We think of Silicon Valley. We think of New York. A lot of the coasts, right? Mm-hmm. We think of Japan. One thing you might not think of is Chicago. But Chicago's actually got a pretty rich history with video games. So we thought we'd kick off this Chicago Cartridge Con event by discussing the history of video gaming in Chicago. I like it. Yeah. This is the first time I'm hearing about this topic. Yeah. Surprise! <laughs> so we're going to discuss games set in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss historical video gaming events that happened in Chicago. Some game publishers and developers based in Chicago. And then... Uh, and ho- hopefully that, that will eat up our hour. That will probably eat up our hour. Yeah. I, this whole being being condensed to one hour thing is <laughs> new for us. It's, yeah. Usually it's very late at night. My pants are already off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, took a, I took a quick uh, show of hands, and nobody wanted that this no, time. So no. um, I'm not for tequilas in yet. <laughs> um, we got a bottle of tequila right here, so that'll, that's water. that'll help. I, that's water to everyone. <laughs> What, you, what, what would you say you do here? <laughs> I correct you. <sighs> that's that's, <laughs> that's pretty full, much that's it. That's a full-time job. <laughs> All right. So let's start off with just some games set in Chicago mm-hmm. and what we thought of them. Some notable ones. They could be notable historically. They could be notable just because we enjoyed them. Or they could be notable because you're insane. <laughs> Probably the latter. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there are a lot of games set in Chicago, and not, they're not all the types of games you would imagine. You would imagine sort of mafia-type games, which there are plenty of those. Um, there's also uh, a bit of a, a cheat um, in that because Chicago has historically had some very good sports teams, I think, I'm not a sports guy, um, but there's there's been a lot of branding and licensing opportunities to basically take that appeal and force it to a video game. Games like um, Chaos in the Windy City with Michael Jordan. Mm. Um, Mike Ditka's Power Football. There, Mike Ditka's Power Football. He is a, a, a beautiful man, isn't he? Powerful. I think, right? I powerful man. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about some of our favorites maybe um, it, that, that take place in Chicago. Great. So 
one of the games that I think about when I think of Chicago, and this goes back to my early days gaming on computer and 8-bit computers and the like, uh, and this is when I was a kid, my dad was a pilot, so I grew up like flying with him and stuff, and so I played a lot of flight simulators as a kid. And one of the, one, one of the games that really made the, the uh, genre accessible for the masses was Microsoft Flight Simulator. And Microsoft Flight Simulator, the opening field that you always went and trained on was here in Chicago. It was Meigs Field. And back in 2003, Mayor Daley demolished Meigs Field. And interestingly enough, a bunch of protesters showed up the night that it was being demolished, not because it was such a historic field, but because they all had memories of starting Microsoft <laughs> Flight Simulator at that field. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's really, really cool. That really goes to show like where people's passions lie, yeah, too. Yeah. Like, Banding gamers together to protest asinine things for decades. <laughs> that's awesome. That should have been a... We should have gone out to the uh, the graveyard that we is should. That, that area. Yeah. Yeah. Next time. Uh, yeah, next time. That's that's not Skokoki Con. That's Chicago <laughs> Con. That's the proper Chicago. 2019, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of them that uh, I was very, very... Uh, excited to hear about. So I'm very unfamiliar with um, the genre of train simulators. Apparently those are very big in Japan is what I hear. Um, I'm very unfamiliar with them, but uh, there is a, a train simulator called Railfan, which is, I, I think, a series of train simulators um, for the PlayStation 3. And the it, it just features a variety of train stations from throughout the world, essentially. Uh, and you're, you're essentially the, the captain, pilot, engineer, Conductor? There conductor, go. there we go. Uh, you're the conductor, and you're just kind of simulating controlling a train, which sounds incredibly boring to me. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that one of the lines that they actually included in this game was the uh, the brown line, the Fullerton, uh, from Fullerton. Uh, it's the, the brown line loop Fullerton, um, and it includes uh, 14 different stations. And, and so uh, I thought that was interesting because most of the, most of the other uh, stations in this game are... Japanese centric or in Japan and this one for some reason was just kind of there and I couldn't really find any good information about why they chose it but hey we're able to talk about it now so if any of you out there are train simulator fans go for it find probably out. because the Japanese trains are all like bullet trains and really fast so maybe this is like the trainer level like the, big, probably, the trainer the train trainer <laughs> the train trainer yeah yeah it probably is so now that we've got everybody juices flowing mm. with our simulator talk early morning train simulator yeah. talk yeah Flight and train. We knocked it out of the park right off the bat. I know. I th we, should have, reason, we should have discussed this because yeah. I think that's too much. There's a reason we're the warm-up act. <laughs> Every All the other podcasts are crossing off their list. Yep. Like, I can't do train simulator stuff no now. No train. Or the it. whole set is out the window. <laughs> the uh, next game, not a simulator. Well, I guess it's kind of a like a police slash diehard simulator. Lethal Enforcers. Exactly, just yeah. like being a police yeah. officer, right? So Lethal Enforcers, the original one set in Chicago. You basically play a cop whose entire unit gets like wiped out and either killed or sent to the hospital, and you go all dirty, hairy, uh, trying to track down the enemies. Who I don't know if you knew this or not, but all bad guys wear sunglasses and have mustaches. <laughs> That's how you know they're bad guys. That's how you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Good guys, clean shaven. Yep. And we think. Wasn't that a first-person game? But you can't shoot the clean-shaven people. Oh, you can't shoot? No. Okay, because I gotcha. I gotcha, yeah. 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 Sorry. In, in my all of the uh, realistic police games that I've played, your Contras um, uh -huh. and things like that, yeah. I just kind of go crazy. So I, I was unaware. 
I think if, if Contra is a, a realistic police simulator for you, uh, we have some police brutality discussions to have. Uh, I'm very show, bad at Contra, though. Does that show. help? <laughs> <laughs> so Lethal Enforcers was actually the game that spurred me to get my Sega CD as a kid. So I have some real mixed feelings about Lethal Enforcers <laughs> now, looking back. Um, it led to a lot of unfulfilling video game um, weekends <laughs> with friends, <laughs> shooting at the TV, playing two-player Sewer Shark. You, I just didn't know you could play two-player Sewer Shark. I was unaware. Yeah. yeah. You sort of have to have one person say, hit up, hit down, <laughs> hit left, while the other person is actually using the controller. Like two-player Duck Hunt. Yeah. 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 What about you? Do you have a, another Chicago game? No, no, but I think it's interesting. Like Lethal Enforcers and uh, some of the games that we've talked about so far, very... Uh, it, they're essentially games that could be, they're sort of placed in Chicago from a story perspective, mm -hmm. because back then you couldn't really recreate the environments well enough to properly depict a city environment. Um, and so they're kind of getting by on saying, yeah, sure, it's Chicago, but really it could have been any city, anywhere. Um, but that did kind of change as, as sort of technology became much, much better. Um, and we started getting games like, I know it was on your list, Watch Dogs. Yeah, Watch Dogs is probably, so far for my money, the best recreation representation of Chicago in a video game. It feels very well put together. It feels like you're, you have a massive city to go through. You can go down to the Miracle Mile. You can go down to the, to the Bean. You can go down to uh, the harbor and, and um, t check out Lake Michigan, see the beach and everything. It just feels like when you're running around in that game, you're actually in Chicago. Were you able to use your knowledge of Chicago to be better at the game, do you think? Um, I stopped playing the game, so yeah. I think so. I think so. I don't want to have anything to do with Chicago. This is <laughs> this is a real game. <laughs> we get out of here. Oh, I love but then it. there's a lot of there's a, there are other games that take sort of a a slant and a twist on Chicago. So instead of just accurately predict, projecting modern day Chicago, you have games like Resistance, mm -hmm. where you go back to sort of a pseudo alternate reality Chicago. So it takes Capone and aliens and mixes them together, <laughs> which. I think is probably an upcoming series on History Channel. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah. Even if it was entirely yep. Finding Alien Capone. <laughs> you got to get I like, love it. the crazy hair guy. I love know, it. Yeah. Giorgio Sukulos. <laughs> it's aliens. I love it. And then one of the original Xbox games is, of course, a Chicago-themed game. Halo. Yeah. Yeah. Halo. Yeah, Halo. No. Incredible. Not, not Halo. No. No. Oh. Not Halo. Crimson Skies. Ah. Yeah. I know Musty's a fan. Yeah. <laughs> Newly backward compatible on the Xbox One. Yeah. That, I think Musty was the happiest person in the world when that was announced. I remember he was being very, very happy yeah. about that. It makes me almost kind of want to play the game because I trust his opinion that much. Yeah. He's a trustable fellow. <laughs> Midtown Madness, racing around Chicago. That's another one, right, that they, it could have been any city. Well, I, th I feel like this is a, it's probably the most fantastical representation of Chicago. Mm. Did you drive at all in Chicago? No. Yeah, no. There, you can't, there's no going like 80 yeah. at, or, <laughs> at all. You're, you pull up a game store and it's like four miles away. You think, oh, nice, well, that's just down the street. <laughs> no, seven hours later, <laughs> you're at the game store. That's awesome. Uh-huh, it's no good, no good. So let's shift gears a little bit and stop talking about ridiculous video games and start talking about the history of gaming in Chicago. Mm. Just talk about some things that are highlights about how Chicago is tied to the video gaming industry. I love it. Yeah. 
So this is the first item is something that we touched on a few episodes ago, when, back when CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, was happening. We did a episode that was basically the history of CES, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we touched on in that episode was that Chicago was actually the home for the Summer Consumer Electronics Show for many, many years. It moved, it started out in New York City, and then the summer show, well, actually both summer and winter shows were in Chicago here for quite a while, but 1972 it started in Chicago, and then the summer version was up, was here in Chicago until 1994, when they decided to start moving the summer one around. So a lot of the gaming, the iconic game um, systems that we grew up playing were introduced to the American public right here in Chicago. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. One of the other things that was tied indelibly to my childhood was arcades, Mm -hmm. coin-op arcades. And when I think about going to an arcade and playing coin-ops, really there's a handful of companies that jump out at you. And one of them is, it probably made more of my favorite arcade games than than many others, and that is Midway. Mm -hmm. We're in the Midwest, Midway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Midway between sanity and insanity. Yeah. Midway yeah. through flyover country. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so Midway, um, they licensed a lot of the games that probably a lot of people remember. Um, they licensed the original Space Invaders, uh, Tapper, um, which was, I think, later changed to... Uh, Root Beer Tapper. Root Beer Tapper, mm. <laughs> yep, on the console systems. Uh, Galaga, Tron, Spy Hunter, Miss Pac-Man. Um, all of that was uh, because Midway was able to distribute those games throughout North America. Um, you know, that's how a lot of people were able to become aware of these games. Um, and they were really, they were doing that really, really well. They sort of rode the tidal wave of popularity. Um, as arcades were popular, Midway and their arcade cabinets and everything were popular. As arcades sort of fell down, their popularity sort of decreased uh, right there along with it. They were really, really tied to the arcade scene. Now, a lot of us have played Midway games that were ported over to, um, well, we a lot of Midway uh, distributed games that were ported to console systems and things like that. So um, it may be a bit surprising that they actually kind of lived and died with the arcades, even though a lot of us are familiar with them from a console standpoint. Um, but they were pretty popular throughout the 90s. Um, but uh, but basically, as uh, the, the market shrank, um, this kind of spelled disaster for Midway. Um, and... They were kind of deep in debt a few years later. They were kind of trying to figure out what it is that they needed to do with themselves. Um, and they, uh, they started actually uh, distributing or started actually developing some games as well. Um, and let me see if I can find out some of these here real quick. Um, well, here, while I'm scrolling through my notes, like, talk to me a little bit about some of your favorite yeah. Midway games because there's just a ton of them out there. So early, when you started out, you talked about some of the old classics, Tapper, Galaga, Tron, and mm-hmm. Spy Hunter. Spy Hunter is one that really resonated with me, hearing that Peter Gunn theme going all the time. <laughs> so my first experience with arcade games, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Like, like I grew up, the, the closest town to where I lived on a farm was had a population of like 157. <laughs> so... In the Midwest and in Wisconsin specifically, there's a a culture uh, that grew up kind of because of the rurality of the uh, landscape. There was a something called a supper club became kind of indelible to Midwest Wisconsinites lives. And a supper club is effectively a fancy way to say it's a bar in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And so farmers and farm families would basically go to the nearest supper club and you know go there for friday night fish fry go there for chicken wings you kind of your standard traditional pub fare uh, but that was getting fancy and going out 
So <laughs> the supper club that was closest to my house growing up, uh, they had a little little room off to the side that had a couple of pinball games and a couple of arcade games. And the arcade games that they had that were really the first experience I ever had with our coin-operated arcade games was Dig Dug, mm. which is one of my favorite you know, classics because of that reason. And the other one was Spy Hunter. Uh, so seeing Spy Hunter um, and just thinking about that Peter Gunn theme it brings me back to my very first experience with coin-op arcades. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, and so I, I very similarly grew up in a very, very small town. Um, my town that I actually lived in had about 3,500 people. Um, That's a metropolis. <laughs> we, 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 every year, there would be this, uh, this, this town-wide uh, excitement where a census was sort of taken to see if one particular corner was busy enough to get a streetlight. Mm. Because we felt that once we got a streetlight... We were there, man. We yeah. just moved up. Now, we, we don't have a street light, per se. We have a flashing red light above one of the stop signs. Uh-huh. That's a good, that's a good way to break it. into yeah. it, you know? Yeah, like you get just people... sort of dabble. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd say uh, we're talking about some great games, some of our favorite games. Um, I think it goes without saying that probably one of the most uh, iconic, uh, best games that Midway ever had any involvement with was um, Revolution X. Uh, Revolution X being a game where you fire CDs at ninjas to rescue Aerosmith. And uh, I don't know why that concept didn't keep going. Um, it sounds like, well, first of all, why would you want to rescue Aerosmith? I don't know. I'm not a huge fan. Burn. It's decisions to not keep classic series like this going. <laughs> Very classic. Why Midway is no longer around. You could have swapped out Aerosmith. You could have done pal, uh, pal swaps, sprite swaps with so many bands. And, yeah. and there's probably actually a homebrew market for that. Maybe I'll look Ooh. that up here after this. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so, you know, why ninjas were, were capturing Aerosmith. I don't know that that was ever really stated or even if it was integral to the enjoyment of the game. To be were honest. you around in the 90s? CDs, ninjas and Aerosmith? How was that not a hit? You're right. You're, <laughs> and it wasn't. So I think that, that goes to show that the game-buying public was smarter than most marketers thought. Uh, astounding. <laughs> astounding. <laughs> they, one game that did catch on, just a little bit, a little bit, Mortal Kombat. Mm. Little thing, little series you might have heard of. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little uh, controversy. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of Chicago, a controversy. Chicago, no stranger to controversy. <laughs> Did you play a lot of Mortal Kombat? I played a, a ton of Mortal Kombat, and I lost a ton of Mortal Kombat. Mm. Uh, not good at the game at all, at all. But yeah, I do remember. Um, I was very much a part of the entire. Uh, I think everyone was a part of the. Uh, well, that Mortal Kombat is what credits Sega for really starting to to uh, overcome Nintendo. One of the reasons that Sega started to overcome Nintendo because Sega, of course, refused to remove the uh, the blood from the game, whereas Nintendo did. And as a kid, of course, you want the game with the blood, mm. even though it's highly pixelated blood and could really be anything. Didn't have to be blood um but i was definitely one of those kids that like it was the bloody version or nothing now i was yeah. i was i was very stringently a nintendo fan i didn't like sega um for some reason and i don't know why i you cannot articulate it can't say that too loudly mighty q dogs right know, here he's front right row. in front of me he's looking right and at me oh gosh stare, stare through your soul no uh what i meant to say was uh sega's great if you're an incredibly attractive smart person uh, there we go. Uh, well done. Good save. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So but that was the one game where I was like, Nintendo, why are you doing this to me? Um, and it was you know years later where I kind of realized the whole uh, the whole controversy behind it and everything like that. But yeah, I played a ton of Mortal Kombat. Um, favorite character, Mortal Kombat uh, one or two. Sub Zero, of course. Yeah. yeah, that was okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I even asked. <laughs> <laughs> we just got through talking about how great ninjas were. Yeah, and, yeah. 
Ninjas and freezing people. <laughs> freezing and people. And the same button combination as Ken and Ryu from Street Fighter, so I didn't have to learn anything new. Oh, man. That's, that's, that's great. I remember as a kid, like, thinking, like, I, in my mind, like, having these weird trade-offs of, like, if I could have Sub-Zero's freezing power, hmm. okay? Like, if I could meet a wizard and he was like, I'll give you the power. I'm like, of course the wizard's not going to give me this power to have Sub-Zero's freezing power because that's just too – I mean, I would dominate everyone I walked to on the yeah. street, you know? Like, you looked at me funny. Bazam! You know, uh, but I was like, so my plan was, hey, maybe, maybe, hey, wizard, can I do it like once a day, like mm-hmm. or, or once a week even? And then maybe for the for that week, rest of that week, I have to eat like broccoli only Ooh. to like regenerate. And I was even I was making these concessions in my head as a kid. Could like you, if could I you ran, cover it in cheese, I didn't get that far. Okay. Yeah, I think I think if I were to introduce those stipulations, I would have already convinced myself that this was absurd. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even go that far down the line. <laughs> Uh, what other games, uh, Midway games, were you? So you're, you're mentioning of the, this magical wizard actually gets me into my next iconic Midway game. That's like the most legitimate segue we've ever we've done. We've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is astounding. Yeah. It only took us a year yeah. to get a legitimate That's segue. the only one you're going to get. The rest of them are not happening yeah. that way. So when I, back in the late 90s, I started my first game store, and it was a game store, but it was also a coin-op arcade and pool hall. And one of the very first games that we had that was a new current game, we had you know, your Miss Pac-Mans, we had a lot of the retro stuff, but the first new game that we had that was in the store was Gauntlet Legends. Mm. And I will go to my grave not being able to get the voice out of my head Blue wizard needs food badly. <laughs> Green archer is about to die. Was that that was it would the, just go on loop, right? So it, that was like attract mode. It'd have the guys yeah. running around on it, and then it would be blue wizard needs food badly. It is incredible. You know, you mentioned attract mode, and and I that's a concept that's always just like I've loved this from a marketing perspective. The attract mode on games because you think of um, as a kid walking into an arcade, it's all flashing lights and everything. And it's not until an adult that you realize the the point of attract mode or the fact that marketers and programmers would specifically program in the default non-playable scene in order to get people to come to the machines. Um, And I always just thought of it as a kid. I just thought of it, well, of course, they have to have something on the screen. They have to have something there. But they really did put thought into what it was they were going to put on this attract mode, what kind of lights they were going to have on it, the kind of sounds that they were going to like broadcast, the kind of annoying loops they were going to broadcast. And I think having voices that was probably enough to draw people like, I mean, because I don't think there were too many arcade games that had as much voice or as much clearly articulated voice work as that game particularly yeah. did, which is amazing. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, so. It's astounding going in one of the, in my real day job, one of the things that I have to oversee is the U.S. has these advertising to children uh, restrictions. Mm-hmm. So like you can't, advertisers can no longer have a certain amount of like animation in their cartoon or in their advertisements. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the things that's driven the the growth of TV, like animated series as commercials. So you see like every animated series that comes out has a toy associated mm-hmm. with it, right? You go back, you have G.I. Joe and Transformers and He-Man. And they use the, the show itself as the commercial because you couldn't have the animation and stuff in the commercial for kids. <laughs> I was actually just talking with this Rock's house about this yesterday. A uh, little known cartoon fact. Um, Ren and Stimpy was one of the first cartoons that uh, was invented without a tag-along uh, 
product or, car, or a tag-along product um, because before that, cartoon series always closely really aligned with toys. Ren and Stimpy was kind of the first one to do that, um, and what a first one it was, too. I mean, that was a crazy kind of show. That was one where parents would not let their kids, some kids watch that show. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, and it was a weird concept because when the creator, um, uh, Glenn Hoek, I think, or John Hoek, I think is his name, uh, when he um, created the thing, was like sort of talking about it, uh, marketers, distributors, television producers didn't really know what to do. They're like, okay, well, where's the, where's the toy? Like, what do you do? Why are you making this cartoon? He's like, no, it's a cartoon for cartoon's sake. But like, no, wait, what, why, why though? And it was so hard for them to get buy-in from it. And so, yeah, a little fun. It's a show about nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we'll you go. It's the first Seinfeld. Right, there you go. Now, now we've looped everybody into our... <laughs> Our reason for being here. Yeah, that's right. A little glimpse behind the curtain. Anytime I can, uh, I can get people interested in Ren and Stimpy, I'm all about it. <laughs> um, Another game that has voice that was a midway classic, NBA Jam. Mm. Boom Shakalaka. That game was on fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't like basketball. I'm not a fan either. No. 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 I, basketball is probably the worst sport, in my opinion. Well, no, second worst sport, second to soccer. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, Uh-oh. yeah. Now that now that I've offended everybody in the room, <laughs> uh, I loved NBA Jam. That's pro- which is like it goes to show how awesome of a game it is because it appealed to basketball fans, it appealed to arcade fans. You know, it yeah, was across the board. A- exactly, and I think it. Uh, I don't know that it brought too many people who were disinterested in basketball into basketball mm-hmm. um, because it is so. You know, in real basketball, you can't like light basketballs on fire at least you can't get away with it i should say um but yeah i was the same way i hated basketball too and i wonder if it stems from us just being short people like there's just you're just naturally going to be averse to caring about basketball you know there's other things to care about i'm a fat kid so that's probably the soccer thing too like (laughs) running that much sounds like torture it does (laughs) watching people run that much sounds like torture well and also i mean we are video game players for a reason uh physical activity in the real world is not we want simulated yeah. activity just by default yeah yeah thumbs very acute very, very <laughs> important acute. so let's let's shift out a little bit of midway and talk about a couple of other things that are chicago related can i mention one thing about midway no. though okay you said no okay <laughs> i always listen to this guy um so uh, the one thing I was actually going to mention is even though I, I mentioned earlier how Midway, um, you know, kind of as a as a arcade cabinet uh, producer, manufacturer, distributor, that sort of thing kind of fell down, fell down the wayside. Um, there is uh, some some sort of Phoenix rising from the ashes mentality from that. Um, Dave Lang, who is the founder of Chicago's um, Iron Galaxy, which is the studio behind Killer Instinct, uh, which a lot of people don't realize, um, they actually say that Midway's sort of uh, Midway's falling apart actually gave way to them in a big way because um, a lot of the people who worked at Midway ended up, you know, crossing town and going over to Iron Galaxy and helping out that studio. So in a way, Iron Galaxy actually considers themselves part of Midway's legacy, which is really cool. So, yeah. Yeah, there's actually a lot of small game studios that grew up out of the ashes of Midway's collapse here in Chicago. Iron, uh, Iron Galaxy is one of them. Another one that was founded by Ed Boon, of course, of Mortal Kombat fame. Boon Tobias. Nether Realm Studios. Boom Sabot. Boom, yeah. yeah. Noob Sabot. Noob Sabot. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Nether Realm Studios, the current kind of overseer of the Mortal Kombat license and creator of Injustice is another Chicago company that uh, was founded by former Midway folk. Nice. Yeah. That's very cool. So it's got a legacy. Not only did it influence a generation of gamers, but their their fingerprints are on a lot of things we play today. 
Oh, thank you, Chicago. Yeah. Not just a city of pizza, cubs, and sausages. (laughs) We finally learned that today. Oh, man. So, um... One one other one other note yes. on on Chicago's gaming history was something that I think would be awesome. Back in 2006, Rockstar Studios announced Grand Theft Auto Chicago. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, gangland like Chicago is just synonymous with gangsters. Mm-hmm. Seems like a Grand Theft Auto would be. It does. An, Chicago would be an awesome setting for Grand Theft Auto. So this was specifically. It's going to be a, a game starring a main character called Johnny Roselli, and it was set in 1933. And he was basically avenging the murder, the gangland murder of his family by going all like Untouchables, Elliot Ness style against you know prohibition and like trying to take down. Take down the mafia and their their ties into prohibition. So they g- announce the game and everybody goes to Rockstar's. Yeah, that sounds amazing. When's it, it coming out? Fantastic. This is awesome. Like coming out like this year, I would assume. It's right? got to be coming out this year. Yeah. yeah, it was a 2006 April Fool's Day joke. What cruel, cruel <laughs> fate. Although I guess if you think about it, uh, Chicago from a from a an environment perspective in a video game in the 2006s um, was it, it probably would have looked a lot like. Grand Theft Auto 3. I mean, it, yeah. w- it probably there probably wouldn't have been a whole lot different that they could have done with it to make it look like a, a very distinct city. Um, so we probably should have known that. We probably should have registered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't register a lot of things. That's true. Um, so what are you, now that we're sort of halfway through Chicago Cartridge Con, mm-hmm. right? We, we did a bunch of game hunting. We, we took a... Masters of Unlocking stroll to buy cigars. We did. Which mm-hmm. we still haven't utilized. That's right. I went to bed way too early. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Tonight. Try harder. <laughs> what, uh, what's high on your list of like, things that you want to still see here in our remaining day and a half? Well, I want to try to actually live out some of the stuff that we've talked about. Like we've, ta- you know, we've talked about the history of video games. We've talked about a lot of video games set in Chicago. But I would like to... Uh, hone in on maybe some specific Chicago arcades and mm. actually go to some of those places. Um, that's really what I would love to do. And of course, with as many of the Cartridge Club people as possible. Um, I want to continue hanging out with the Cartridge Club people. I know that sounds like a cheesy answer, but that really is kind of my main priority here. I just want to play some games. Um, to everyone outside of this room, traveling across the country or to a different country to sit in a hotel room to play video games with people, sounds insane. And back in the day of like local co-op couch play where that was the standard, it would sound even more insane. Uh, but the fact that that's such that's so far removed from gaming a, as it exists in the in the mental uh, consciousness of people now, it makes it such a such a unique sort of novelty thing to 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 pack up your belongings, to pack up your family in some cases, and to bring them across the country to press plastic buttons on a controller with other people next to you is just a really really cool mm-hmm. thing um something that that i'm just i'm just so so super super proud of to be part of um, i was welcomed into the cartridge club community um, i'm not one of the newest members but i am definitely a newer member i think um and uh just to be welcomed in by such a group of people and then to meet them in person and to not have them immediately uh put me on a stake and, and kill me um yeah that's that's helpful uh well i just say immediately so i mean yeah I, if they do it now i'd understand yeah uh, they've actually met me in person I, i'm very stakeable 
so, uh, so yeah, I'm just looking forward to continuing to hang out with stuff, uh, hang out with people, not stuff. You guys are not stuff. Yeah, I think being part of the Cartridge Club is really, um, it's been an awesome experience. Uh, when I started my video game stores back in the late 90s, one of the key, the key components of it was a multiplayer gaming area. So we started out in 1998 with computers networked together to play for people to play things like the original Diablo, Command and Conquer, some of those multiplayer games where the internet gaming wasn't really a thing yet because people were on like 33.6 modems, 56K modems if you had like the best of the best, right? And so people would come into the game store and expect to see games on the wall for sale and they'd see the arcade games. And that was all stuff that registered with, with people immediately. But then they'd see this network of computers sitting there and people would come up to the counter and be like, what is this? What is going on here? And so it was really an education type thing where we would talk through with customers. This is These computers are all hooked to each other, and you can bring in your friends, and you can play against each other or play cooperatively and, and hang out and have a social experience. At this time, gaming was still really largely a antisocial thing, right? <laughs> and the whenever we were pitching what the game center was to people, it's really sort of the almost the kind of unofficial mantra of the cartridge club. I would say you can have a beer at home in your basement, but it's much more fun to have beers with friends in your basement. In your basement. <laughs> Same thing with gaming, right? It's taking something that has traditionally been a an antisocial um, sort of segment of society and turning it into something that's collaborative, turning it into something that's social, turning it into something that is a building of a community. And we look around this room and we see people who are old friends now, new friends. Uh, it is a very welcoming community. Um, anybody who is interested, go check out www.cartridgeclub.org, which is short for Organism. I think so. I think we've established that uh -huh. organism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, the folks at Polykill think it's short for orgasm. Oh. That's not right. That's the only kind of. That's not, not right. Mind. Not right. It's a family show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but go check it out. The, just register. It's free. You can sign up for the forums, introduce yourself. That's how we actually joined the Cartridge Club very, very close together. I think the first, hey, I'm new to the Cartridge Club post on the forums that I saw after joining was you. Hmm. Wow, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah, because I'm amazing. That was the beginning of the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's then cool. they, you know, the forum sort of emptied out after that because they're like, they let these riffraff in. Yeah, <laughs> let anybody in. That's how society falls. Yeah, I, I, I'm very. I, if I can, I'm very toxic. You know, so uh, mm -hmm. I'm surprised there's this many people in the room still. But, but yeah, and then uh, it wasn't too much later. I think that you uh, reached out to me and was just like, uh, "Hey." are you interested in doing some sort of podcast? And I don't know if I ever got from you or even want to know like why you kind of reached out to me or thought that would be that thought talking to me every couple of weeks would be a smart health decision. Um, but yeah, I, if, if you, do you happen to know that off the top? Of your I head? do actually, I, after you introduced yourself, you'd mentioned your YouTube channel. Mm. And so I went back and I looked and all of your YouTube channel shows, which is awesome. If you haven't checked out Caleb J Ross on the YouTubes, you need to do it. Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. That's why I said, you know, I can ride this guy's coattails. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He's a professional sort of dude. And then you he's found out all. <laughs> he's got these amazingly produced YouTube channel <laughs> videos. And uh, so I said, hey, Mr. J. Ross, <laughs> do, you, do you have room in your coattails? 
Oh man, I, I do remember. Uh, it was so funny because you 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 reached out to me, and I remember being very, "Are you sure?" Mm, like yeah. I was very much like kind of pushing back, only because I had done a lot of podcasts in the past. Um, I had done uh, probably five or six different podcasts that each lasted from just one or two episodes to upwards of fifty episodes. And there's always uh, something that makes it fall apart, and that something is usually just people get exhausted with the editing or people get exhausted with trying to coordinate ideas or trying to do this and it starts to fall on one person's shoulders. And historically that for those podcasts, um, with the exception of important question podcast, I should say, just because if, if my previous co-host is listening to this, he'd be very upset if he, if he thought I was claiming credit for all the work on that one. He definitely did all the work on that one. Um, but, uh, but they, they, they tended to fall on my shoulders a lot of times and I just would get kind of burnt out and there would be sort of a, a a lost sense of passion with it, the passion that I had and that ignited things. And, and honestly, I think it's kind of shifted here where everything is on your shoulders. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> so, uh, so hopefully it's not one of those situations. But the passion is still very, very much strong from my, from my seat. Um, and I hope so from yours as well. So hopefully this thing will continue on for, for many, many, many moons. Yes, it's yeah. definitely been fun. Been a good first year ride. And what a great way to cap it here with uh, a bunch of fine folks from the community mm -hmm. that made it all possible. Yeah. You know, before I joined the Cartridge Club, I'd never even listened to a podcast. Really? Not one. Hmm. I didn't even know how to access them. <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> and now there's at least two that yeah. are just like, yeah. Yep, yep. You're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I listen to a lot of the Cartridge Club yeah. podcasts. It's it, That's kind of now my, my podcasting app. is. It should really just be called the Cartridge Club app because <laughs> it's uh, there's a lot of amazing content. And we're going to get to see, for those of you who are watching this live, this is our first live podcast. There are three more live podcasts coming up right after Masters of Unlocking. Mm. It's going to be a good day. This is going to be very good. Yeah. Be Stay good tuned. Day. Stay tuned. Don't leave this room. Sorry, you were looking fact, at the back of my head the whole time. In fact, there's probably many more people waiting outside. You I would know imagine, how like, yeah. you show up late because yeah. the opening band is always the one that sucks. <laughs> and they're like, we can stay at the bar for like another 45 minutes because the real band. Yeah. And we had to be here, man. Later. That sucks. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh. Exhausting. But I think we did, we did pretty decent to compact our, our normal ramblings into under an hour. Yeah, I think so. Um, maybe that just means that Chicago doesn't have quite the uh, video game history that we would have liked for it to. Come on, Chicago. Get yeah. your stuff together. Pick up your game. Yeah, yeah. I think they're probably going to work on like winning some World Series and, and Super Bowls first. Sports stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. But then, after that, then get into picking up the video game pace a little bit. Absolutely. But, you know, for, for a sleepy little Midwest town... Not a bad gaming history. Not bad at all. And I'm hoping that we uh, uh, gave some people some information that they didn't know um, already. That's always what we try to do with this podcast is give a little bit of additional sort of uh, historical information, business type of information, which we touched a little bit on, psycho psychological information, um, either about the topics or about the co-hosts themselves. I'm sure you got plenty of the latter here just now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah. So I think that's probably... An episode, right? I, mean, I think it is. is. It time to I, round I think it that's out? a wrap. Why don't you go ahead and let the folks know... Where they can find it. You love this part. I do love I this part. I think it's just because the episode's over and you're done. And, like, you can go to bed. <laughs> I can go to bed. You can't go to bed now, though, because it's, like, noon. I can. 
I mean, well, but I won't. But I won't. True. Okay. Um, so yes, thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for watching out there. We really, really appreciate this. Uh, you can find us collectively on all of the internets um, as uh, Masters of Unlocking. You can go to mastersofunlocking.com. You can find us on Twitter at MOU Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Masters of Unlocking, and on Facebook, Masters of Unlocking. That makes sense, doesn't it? You can find Scott here as VG Collectaholic on pretty much most social medias. Uh, Twitter, VG Collectaholic. Instagram, VG Collectaholic. Facebook, guess what? VG Collectaholic. Website, VG Collectaholic. That's amazing how that works out. Mm. And for yet another series of redundancies, you can find me, Caleb, all over the nets as Caleb J. Ross. Uh, that's all one word. The letter J, not the, not, not, not the word. Twitter, Caleb J. Ross. YouTube, Caleb J. Ross. Instagram, and my website, Caleb J. Ross. And, of course, the Cartridge Club. Find them. There's a lot of great content uh, creators out there, as Scott was mentioning. So please, 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 if you follow any of the links or look up anything that we've talked about, the Cartridge Club org is the place to start. Yeah, and if podcasts aren't your thing, why have you made it to the end of this podcast? But there's also videos and blogs and people posting database of collections, a lot of a lot of just discussion on the forums. So you don't have to be a content creator; you can just be somebody that likes to consume content, whatever the medium. Check it out, cartridgeclub.org. Caleb, happy one year birthday, my Yay! friend! Yay! Thank you! Us. Yay! And that will do it for episode 26 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. We will see you in two weeks for season two. Ah, oh, we got to talk about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Check the website, and if season two is there, go ahead and give it a listen. <laughs> <laughs>